Well, welcome. Happy Easter, everyone. I'm Pastor Allen. Uh, especially glad that you're here today and at least spending part of your Easter with us. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk about Easter. <clears throat> Most of you are probably Jesus followers. We like that term better than Christian. Christian has a lot of kind of uh, baggage with it. So most of you are probably Jesus followers, and I probably don't need to even get up here this morning. You know what today's about. <clears throat> so what I'd like to talk, to, who I'd like to talk to today is those of you who maybe never been Jesus followers, or maybe you were once upon a time, and you find yourself in Easter now, uh, back in church on Easter. Maybe you have no intention of believing any of this stuff. Um, whatever your situation, uh, if you were to tell us any of us, your story, we'd probably get it. We understand. You brought up in that type of home or you, you know, ran into some kind of negative church experience or some negative Christian people and uh, you just gave up on all this stuff. But if you were to invite me, and since you're here, I'm going to assume you're inviting me to have a conversation with you. <clears throat> like, hey, pastor, I know you believe all this stuff. I don't really, but I'm going to give you one shot to convince me. Uh, what am I going to say? What am I going to tell you? Now, you Jesus followers, you can listen in, but I'm going to talk to all those other folks this morning. And I wouldn't start by talking about uh, the history of the church, because they've done, the church has done some horrible things in the name of Jesus over the, over the centuries. So I certainly wouldn't start with that. I wouldn't start with your church experiences, because probably most of us have had some bad church experiences along the way. Maybe you haven't. Uh, many of us have had bad experience with somebody to call themselves a Christian, right? And you thought, if that's what Christians are, I don't want to have anything to do with it. So I wouldn't start with any of that. What I would start with is this, what we're celebrating today. And that's the event, the resurrection of Jesus. <clears throat> See, we don't really believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We, don't, we believe Jesus rose from the dead, not because the Bible said so. That might shock some of you. But we don't, because there, have been, there were hundreds of thousands of believers before there was ever a Bible. It took hundreds of years to write and put together the New Testament. So, obviously, there's some way to believe in the resurrection without a Bible. So, it's not because of the Bible. <clears throat> but we do believe that Jesus rose from the dead because of, for a better term, social media. And that's not something that's just been invented in your lifetime. Uh, social media is a way that society communicates. So 2,000 years ago, there was social media. It was mostly person-to-person uh, -person conversations or people writing back and forth. So, for example, there was a guy by the name of Matthew. He was one of Jesus' followers, a disciple. And after these events, he sat down and said, hey, I, I think I need to write these things down so people will know and remember. And actually, we have four accounts. Matthew, was, we have Mark. Mark was a friend of these guys. He wasn't a disciple, one of the apostles, 12. But he decided it was important enough to write this stuff down. And then Luke, Luke wasn't, but uh, he, he says in his account that he researched and talked to everybody he could, and he wanted to make the best possible uh, account of the life of Christ. And then John, who was also one of the disciples, uh, probably most likely later in life, he decided he wanted to write this stuff down that people wouldn't, wouldn't forget. And he actually wrote a lot of the things that the other three guys didn't write down. So all, all four of these guys believe without a doubt in the resurrection of Jesus, and they wrote the story down. And then Peter, another one of the apostles, disciples, he wrote some letters that we still have. He wrote 
And he obviously believed it. And then probably the most convincing argument was a guy by the name of James. James was the brother of Jesus. Now, how many of you have brothers? I've got two. What would it take for you to believe your brother is the Son of God? Not going to believe it, are you? No way. Me either. And James didn't either. All through Jesus' ministry. But after the resurrection, James believed. And became a leader in the church. Pretty convincing. Then Paul didn't, uh, didn't meet Jesus. Uh, not in a traditional way, anyway. But he felt compelled to spread this good news all around the Roman Empire. And he started churches all over the place, and he wrote letters to all these places. And we have a lot of those letters. That's part of our New Testament. And the amazing thing is, we still have them. How many letters do you have from your great-grandparents, even? I don't have any. So that these accounts and these letters, <laughs> bits and pieces, remain till today. But you say, oh, that's all the stuff in the Bible. Okay, let's look at the historical record. If I was to ask you how many Roman emperors you know, you might be able to list three, unless you're kind of a history guy like me. You probably remember Julius Caesar and Augustus Caesar, and that's where we get the names of July and August. Probably most of you know that. So that's where those came from. And probably one other, and it would be Nero. Now, if I asked you what did Nero, what laws did Nero pass, what buildings did he build, you know, you couldn't tell me that. You probably know two things about Nero. One, he burnt down the city of Rome. And two, who did he blame? Blame the Christians. All right? Now, here's the fascinating thing. Again, if I'm sitting across the table trying to convince you about Easter, <clears throat> why, was Nero, why could Nero persecute Christians in Rome 30 years after the resurrection? Just a logical question. And the answer is what? There were thousands of Christians who believed that Jesus rose from the dead living in Rome, 1,500 miles away from Jerusalem where Jesus died, long before there was a Bible. Now here's the fascinating thing. Experts tell us it takes at least 40 years for a legend or a myth to develop. And that maybe you were like me in college and took a, a secular college and took a course <laughs> And the professor said all, that was, all this Bible stuff is myth, right? Well, it takes at least 40 years, more like 60 or 80 years. You know why? Because the people that live during that event have to die so they can't contradict it. So you can exaggerate, you can make a myth, you can make a legend. So let's just round it off to 60 years. So it takes 60 years for there to be a myth developed such as Jesus rose from the dead. Nero <laughs> burnt down Rome 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead. So there's thousands of believers in Rome when this happened. So let's use a little logic. So then 20 years after the death of Jesus, there was probably what? At least hundreds of believers. People that believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And 10 years. So it can't be a myth. It wasn't just the math doesn't work. There's just not time for it to, to develop a myth. So again, I wouldn't use the history of the church. I wouldn't use your experience with churches. I wouldn't use your experience with other Christians. But the fascinating thing is like 300 years later, well, we have this called the New Testament. These writings were still around. And they were put together in what we call the New Testament. 
So it's better than that. We can believe because, for a better term, social media. <clears throat> but even if this is true, and even if you believe it's true, it's really not what we celebrate that this guy named Jesus was resurrected 2,000 years ago. A historical event. It's the implication of that event which is significant. So let me give you a little context, and then we're going to look at one of the resurrection stories out of the New Testament, and then we'll finish up. Like 2,000 years before this, God wanted to establish a nation we call Israel. And he called this guy Abraham. He said, I'm going to make you a father of a great nation. You're going to have descendants like stars in the sky. And so uh, he, he becomes a father of a great nation. And part of that promise was you're going to bless all the other nations. And then there were, over those hundreds of years, the prophets would make these prophecies about a Messiah, this deliverer who's going to come along. So then you fast forward to the time of Jesus. <clears throat> and uh, Rome is in control of most of the world. They're certainly in control of Israel. And Israel couldn't even bless themselves. What was the possibility of Israel blessing the world? Besides, most nations, what do they do with other nations? Did they bless them? Now they conquer them and they make slaves of them and they use them and tax them. So in, in, in first century Jerusalem, this looked like an impossibility. This little nation of Israel was going to bless the world. And so this guy by the name of John comes along and he looks kind of weird and he dresses kind of weird and he talks kind of weird and he eats kind of weird. And, but the people just flock to him and he's got this message about repentance and all, all these crowds are coming in, and the, Israel, the, the leaders of the, uh, of the Jews are get, getting really nervous because they're looking for the Messiah to deliver, and they're thinking, is this guy him? He doesn't look like a Messiah. He doesn't talk like a Messiah. He doesn't smell like a Messiah. He doesn't eat like a Messiah. So they go and ask him, John, John, um, could you possibly be the Messiah we're looking for? He said, no, i got good news for you. It's not me. I'm paving the way for him. And one day Jesus comes down to the Jordan and he John baptized him. Jesus starts his ministry. And the crowds are getting even bigger. And again, the Jewish leaders are getting nervous and actually getting jealous. Could this be the Messiah? But it's not the Messiah we're looking for. His message is different. And so then Jesus does something unforgivable. He brings Lazarus back from the dead. And the crowds are getting huge. And the, the Jewish leaders want to kill Lazarus. They can't manage to kill Lazarus. So who do they kill? God who thinks he's the Messiah. Jesus is tried, convicted, tortured, crucified, and buried. Whew. Jewish leaders think they got off on that one. They're still looking for the Messiah today. Now, after Jesus was crucified, an interesting thing happened. You know what they did with bodies that were crucified? They threw them on the trash dump, trash heap. Took them down just they burn them up, the dogs ate them, whatever. Unless somebody came along and they, and they probably had to bribe, in this case, Pilate, and say, hey, um, here's some money. Can we possibly take that body? And evidently, that's, or most likely, that's what happened. These two guys that were like secret followers of Jesus uh, probably paid some money. They, they were pretty wealthy people. And they took the body and hurriedly, hurriedly buried it before the sun went down, the Sabbath started. And again, if I was trying to convince you to believe this, 
I wouldn't start with the history of the church. I wouldn't even start with the Bible. I would start with this event. And if, don't miss this. Everybody unfollowed Jesus on that Friday. Everybody. Disciples. Mary, Jesus' mother. Mary Magdalene. All of them. There was no believers on Friday night and Saturday. None. Zero. And the problem was, Jesus claimed too much. He just said, hey, I'm a good guy. I got a good teaching. I'm a prophet like the guys before me. You could believe in that. Because all the other prophets had died. Jesus claimed to be what? Claimed to be the Messiah, the resurrection and the life. And the resurrection and the life, the Messiah can't die. And the other fascinating thing is you read the stories. Nobody writes himself in as the hero. Now, if I'm making this stuff up, right, and I'm Matthew, and I'm writing the story, what are you going to write? Well, after Jesus was dead, everybody ran away except me. I still believe. I, I you know, everybody, yeah, nobody. You can read all the accounts. Nobody believed. Nobody writes himself in as the hero. So we're going to look at an account that John wrote. It's in chapter 20. And it's going to reinforce, hopefully, some of the things I've been talking about. All right, John chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, you can look it up. Uh, we'll have it on the screen. You can follow along. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. <clears throat> so, couldn't go on Saturday. It was a Sabbath. It would have been uh, pro prohibited, forbidden. So, early as possible. Actually, it's still dark. She's headed there. Maybe by the time she gets there, the sun will come up. And why is she going? Remember, two guys hurriedly buried Jesus. Ladies, two guys buried Jesus hurriedly on Friday. What are you going to go to do? Fix it right, right? Because <laughs> two guys did it. You're going to go and fix it. And so that's what you guys, you know, I don't know if they did it right or if they did but I'm going to make sure it's done right. So Mary's going take care of that. Now, the amazing thing is, for her to touch a dead body was completely prohibited by the Jewish law. But she, her heart was so broken and she cared so much about Jesus that she had to do this. She was compelled to go. And so she goes, she felt, and the problem was going to be the tomb was closed, right? Maybe she was hoping some people would be there and they could help her or whatever, move it. But she got, gets there and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Wow. That's better than you could expect, right? But what's her assumption? That Jesus' body's in there, right? And she's going to make sure it is embalmed correctly. I want to say it this way, hopefully help us remember it. Nobody expected nobody. Nobody expected there'd be nobody. Nobody stood outside the tomb counting down from 10, 9, 8. Nobody. Nobody expected it. And nobody means nobody, right? So, she, ran, uh, she goes in and the body's not there. So she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. This is interesting. John writes himself in as the one who Jesus loved. I think it's kind of a little poke. I mean, Jesus liked you all, but he liked me a little bit better. 
Who's the one? I, no, I don't know. But uh, that's the way he puts himself in there. They've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. She didn't come and say, Hey, Peter, he's alive. He's risen. Ah, somebody, the body's not there. Somebody must have taken him. Because nobody expected nobody. And when there's nobody, they expected what? Somebody had stolen him. So Peter and John run to the tomb and look in, and, and the tomb is empty. And they say, Yeah, Mary, you're right. Somebody took the, took the body. So Mary goes back to the tomb. We don't know why, but she goes back. So Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot, the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Now this solves an age-old mystery about angels. Are they male or female or neutral? They have to be male because here's what they ask Mary. Dear woman, why are you crying? Only guys would ask that question, right? A little bit of resurrection humor. Very little, but a little bit. Ah, because they've taken my Lord. And I don't know where they put him. I've come to re-embalm him. This is even worse than I expected. Maybe they're desecrating the body. They've stolen it. So she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. We don't know why. Maybe it was still dark. Um, maybe he looked different. Maybe his back was turned. Maybe it's covering his face. We don't know. But she didn't recognize him. And I just kind of pictured Jesus having a grin on his face. Because hey, she didn't even recognize me. But she's going to know in a minute. And it's going to change everything. So, the story goes on. Dear woman, why are you crying? And he's a guy. He can ask the same question, right? Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Why? Didn't expect it to be Jesus. Jesus is dead. So, must have been out in the yard, garden, so she expected it's gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you put him, and I will go and get him. I just can imagine late in Mary sitting around with her grandchildren, she's saying, telling the story, she said, yeah, I came out of the tomb, and there's Jesus standing there, I didn't even recognize him. Why the gardener? Didn't need Jesus. And then he says her name. Mary. 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 She turned to him and cried, Rabboni, meaning teacher. For some reason, said her name. She realized who he was. He says, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I have ascended my father. Go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, my God, and your God. So now she's running back, but she's got a different message this time, right? First time, oh, the tomb's empty, somebody's stolen the body. Now she can say, it's alive, he's risen. Come and see. So Mary found the disciples told them, I have seen, implied, risen, Lord. She gave the message. Now, this is a huge deal, and you probably don't realize you're reading the story. Women had no authority to testify in the first century. Sorry, women. 
but nobody would believe you because you're a woman, right? You couldn't go to court and testify. So, again, if you're writing this story, if you're making this story up, are you going to have a woman meet the risen Lord first? No, because nobody would believe her because she's a woman. So why does the story say Mary found? Because that's what happened. And again, it changed everything. And if you can predict your death and resurrection and pull it off, you and I ought to believe God everything else he says, right? Nobody else ever pulled that off, have they? So again, it's not about the fact that this happened. That's almost irrefutable. That's the implication. So let me give you a couple of implications and we'll let you go. Because of the resurrection, you can pray knowing that God hears your prayers. There's a God that's alive. He says to ask. In fact, he says that he already knows what we need before we ask it. And so I believe that. Because Jesus said he would rose from the dead and he did. If he can do that, he can answer your prayers. Because of the resurrection, you can live knowing there's life beyond this life. In Jesus' day, none of the pagan religions believed in the afterlife. In fact, most of the Jews didn't believe in the afterlife. But Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And we can believe that. Why? Because he said he would raise from the dead, and he did. And so when you and I go to a funeral of a loved one, especially that's a Jesus follower, there's a grief that we have. We're, we, we are sad because that person is gone. But there's this unspeakable joy, isn't there? That, hey, this person's in a better place, and one day we're going to be back together forever. And because of the resurrection, you can sacrifice knowing your faithfulness matters. As a pastor, I'm always amazed at the sacrifices people make for this thing called church to happen. John, you and somebody else spent some hours yesterday cutting the grass. Some, some ladies, some group, of, some small group spent some hours Thursday night cleaning the church building. People in the cafe come early to make coffee. I don't drink coffee, but some of you enjoy it. <laughs> so they come and make you coffee. And the list is endless of things that go on. Praise team comes and practices. Hey, you could be doing something else. I'm sure, John, you preferred to go fishing yesterday, wouldn't you? He's nodding his head. You could do something else rather than be here this morning. We just took an offering. Some of you put some money in, I guess. You could have spent that money on something else. You can sacrifice knowing your faithless matter because Jesus said he was going to rise from the dead, and he did. So because of the resurrection... If you've never put your faith in Christ as your Savior, you should consider it. You should consider it. I'm going to show you a, a dramatization of this, this event. And I just want you to notice the emotion involved. From sorrow and grief and hopelessness. In an instant, change to unspeakable joy. The issue isn't history of the church, what some church may have done to you or some Christian. The only issue is who 
is Jesus. And again, if he can predict his death and resurrection, we ought to believe he's exactly who he claims to be. Savior and Lord. If you're not a Jesus follower, you should consider it. We're going to pray for you all. The praise team is going to come and lead us in one last song. Have some folks over here to the left. If you have some questions, you want to pray with somebody. And then we'll... um, Close our service and let you go. Let's pray. Wow. It's easy to doubt something like somebody coming back to the life. But if we look at at the facts, it's kind of hard to refute. And if there truly is a God, this would be, wouldn't be a difficult. And theologically, we need to believe that this could happen so that there is forgiveness of sin, and we can reconnect with you, God. <clears throat> we do want to pray for those folks here that at this point, they haven't stepped across the line to decide to follow God. Today would be the day. Today would be the day <laughs> that accept the fact. Today would be the day their sins would be forgiven, and they would be assured of eternity in heaven with you. God, I'm sure there's some questions. We don't have to have all the questions answered. Jesus said, come follow me. We'll take care of all those issues later. Just step across that line. Just believe. And probably Jesus follows us. is a great day of celebration. That you, God, loved us enough to send your only son to suffer and die. So the rest of your creation can have fellowship, be reconnected with you. We can't thank you enough. And we truly believe that you are, Jesus, you are alive. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.